0: I am Tina Seelig, and I play two roles here today. First, I am the host normally, but today I am also the speaker. So I'm gonna give you a little bit of my background so you know actually who am I besides the person who usually introduces our other guests. I am the Executive Director of the Stanford Technology Ventures Program and along with my wonderful colleagues Tom Byers and Kathy Eisenhardt who are the faculty directors, we run the Stanford Technology Ventures Program. And we spend all of our efforts thinking about research and teaching and outreach efforts all related to high-tech entrepreneurship. My background is a little bit unusual. Um, I actually did my PhD over at the med school. I did have my PhD in neuroscience. And after that, I've done a bunch of different things. I was a management consultant. I was a multimedia producer. I worked at Compaq. I started a company. And uh, I also have written a whole bunch of books. And this talk is about the most recent book I wrote called What I Wish I Knew When I Was 20. Now there's an interesting story behind this talk, because I actually gave a talk by the same name three years ago right here. At that point this talk was extremely raw, it was brand new, it was just the beginning of some ideas. But what happened is the talk ended up really getting some traction. And a year ago, almost exactly a year ago, I was asked by HarperCollins to turn this talk into a book. And so over the last year, I've spent a lot of time digging into these concepts and came up with a bunch of really new and interesting stories and, in fact, changed my point of view on some of these ideas. So I'm gonna tell you a little bit about uh, what's inside this book and uh, invite you at the end to ask whatever questions you might have. Okay, so um, as part of my role at STVP, I have the incredible honor of teaching a course on creativity and innovation. In fact, I see some of my students in the room. And the entire overarching theme of this class is that all problems are opportunities. The bigger the problem, the bigger the opportunity. In fact, anyone in my class would probably be able to recite that in their sleep, right? Any problem is an opportunity. The bigger the problem, the bigger the opportunity. And what I do is I give students problems. They start out as really small problems, and over the course of the quarter, they get bigger and bigger and bigger, until finally they just get extremely comfortable taking on challenges and looking at them through the lens of possibilities. Now, don't just listen to me. I mean, why should you listen to me telling you that problems are opportunities? This is something that is embraced by the entire venture capital community and the whole entrepreneurial community. In fact, I'm going to play you a video clip that I play all the time. It's one of my favorites. It's by Vinod Khosla. Do you guys know who Vinod Khosla is? Who is he? Founder of Sun Microsystems, successful venture capitalist, And this is a 27-second long clip where he talks about problems as opportunities. One thing I would say is find a big pro- to me, any big problem is a big opportunity because if you think about it, no problem, no solution, no company it 's very simple every big problem is a big opportunity if you don't have a big problem you don't have a big opportunity. No. nobody will pay you to solve a non problem. in fact, I see that was a talk that where Tom Byers my colleague was introducing him interviewing him and uh, it's a clip that we play in all of our classes, because this is the essence, the core of entrepreneurship. So how do you teach this? How do you teach people to turn problems into opportunities and look at the world as opportunity-rich? Is it like this? Is this what you do? (laughs) You line people up in rows and columns, right? In fact, it kind of looks like this room right here. Everyone lined up in rows and columns, the chairs bolted to the floor. God forbid you know, you actually talk to anyone else or move around. It looks like everyone's taking a multiple choice test where they're filling out one right answer to every question, filling it out with a number two p- pencil. Is that how you teach creativity? I don't think so. This is the way you teach creativity. You get people out of their comfort zone. You get them jumping off of perfectly good cliffs. You get them to feel it in their gut. It's not necessarily a completely intellectual experience. You need to be able to take risks, to do things you haven't done before, to take on problems that no one knows the answer to. So uh, what I'm going to do is tell you about some of the things that we do in our classes to help people have this experience. So a few years ago, um, I was uh, the, the D School, the Design Institute at Stanford, was just starting off, and uh, there was the first year there was a boot camp class, and there was a whole you know, cast of thousands of people teaching the class, and I was asked to teach one week that focused on entrepreneurship. Tina, will you teach one week that gets folks understanding the general principles and the ideas of entrepreneurial thinking? So I thought, what can I do? So what else I did is I gave the students, every team, an envelope. And in that envelope was seed funding. How many of you know this story? Okay, we're gonna get cut to the chase in a second and go on to the next stories, but this one is the first assignment I gave. They had an envelope, and in that envelope was seed funding. They had four or five days to plan as long as they wanted, but as soon as they opened that envelope, they had two hours to make as much money as possible. Now, for no, those people who don't know this, you know, the folks who are, uh, don't know this story, how much money do you think I gave them? Any, any guesses? 500. $500. Anyone else? Yeah? $5. $5. I bet you know this story, okay? <laughs> yeah, I know you know this story. So, okay, let's cut to the chase here. I gave them $5 and two hours to make as much money as possible. So, what would you do if you were given this challenge? What would you do? Think about it. Does anyone have any ideas? Any thoughts? Organize a party. Organize a party. Invite everyone. Are you going to basically charge people? Absolutely. Absolutely. You're going to charge people to come to your party. Love that idea. Great. I'd love to come. How much are you going to charge people? Uh, Ten dollars. Ten dollars. And how much is the party going to cost? About $50, so you only need five people, you break even. Okay, good. Anyone else, another idea? What you might do with uh, $5 in two hours? First of all, you guys get uh, gold stars because usually when I ask that question, the first thing anyone ever says is, go to Las Vegas or buy a lottery ticket. You know, <laughs> really, they feel like, you know, well, I should take a really high risk for, you know, for earning a big reward. Of course, we all know that the high likelihood is that you're gonna walk away with nothing. Well, let me tell you the clue. The teams that made the most money didn't use the $5 at all. They realized that the $5 was actually a limitation. They realized that that framed the problem way too tightly and that if they looked at the skills they had and the opportunities around them, that was worth a lot more. So with that in mind, what do you think you would do? Any thoughts? Okay. Since you're being shy, I'm going to tell you. I'm going to give you a couple of examples. One team set up a stand in the middle of the student union here at Stanford in front of Treseter. And they just said, they put up a little sign that said, we will measure your bicycle tire pressure for free. But if you need air in the tires, we will charge you a dollar. Pretty cool? Well, first they thought they were taking advantage of their fellow classmates because people could go around the corner and easily get their bicycle tire, pre- pump, bike tires pumped up for free. But you know what? they realized halfway through the two hours that people were incredibly appreciative. And so what they did is they stopped asking for a dollar. And halfway through they asked for donations instead. And you know what happened? People paid them much more. And they walked away at the end of two hours with a couple hundred dollars. Pretty cool. Now, there were some interesting things that fell out of this experiment. First of all, they realized that iterating along the way, experimenting was incredibly valuable. They could have stayed in their dorm room, written a business plan, and they never would have learned the fact all of these things they learned along the way. That, you know, by asking for donations, they actually made more. So, by rapidly prototyping, experimenting, and, um, you know, trying things out along the way, they actually learned a tremendous number of things. So, let me tell you what another team did. Another team realized that on Saturday night there were all of these restaurants in Palo Alto that have really, really long lines, and so what they did is they made reservations at all of these restaurants, right? And as the time came up, they sold their reservation. I mean, It was, it was a brilliant thing, I and mean, they, again, they learned some amazing things along the way. First of all, they learned that the women students were much better at selling the reservations. People trusted them more. <laughs> and second of all, they realized this worked best in the restaurants that have the buzzers that tell you when your restaurant, reservation time is up, right? Because it was almost like a reverse hand grenade. You know, it was something, here, take this, it's going to go off. And it was something tangible they can give. There was another added benefit there. Because once they gave someone this buzzer, they got that buzzer in return. And they now could trade that one and sell that one later in the evening. Pretty cool. So again, the students realized there was no excuse for ever having no money in their pocket. All they had to do was look around and see the opportunities in their midst. But I have to tell you, the team that made the most money completely challenged all the assumptions. They realized that the most valuable thing they had was not the $5 and was not the two hours. The most valuable thing they had was their three-minute presentation time in class, which they sold to a company that wanted to recruit those students. Pretty amazing? (laughs) It was brilliant. And again, the lesson here is that so often we frame problems way too tightly. And if we keep unpacking them and unpacking them, we realize, A, that we have resources that are much larger and more valuable than we even imagined. (laughs) But we also realize that our own skills that we have and the opportunities around us are bigger than we even thought at the beginning. So here, was this was a great experiment and I was delighted with the outcome. In fact, I always like to give experiments and class assignments where I don't know what the students are gonna do because they always do much more than I ever imagined.